Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Lightning fans, you found the right show for everything you need to know about your favorite team in the NHL. It's the Lightning Insider Podcast with Eric Erlinson. Get ready for insight, historical perspective, interviews, and breaking news that comes from a reporter insider who's got near 20 years on the Tampa Bay Lightning beat. Now for the latest with the Lightning, here's Eric. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the LightningInsider.com podcast. I am Eric Erlinson alongside... Greg Linelli from Lightning Radio and Lightning Power Play. Make sure you catch him weekdays, noon to one with Dave Michigan on Power Lunch, as well as pregame, postgame, and intermission host on all Lightning Radio broadcasts. And this is the post-trade deadline edition of the show. So we're going to talk about the big move that Tampa Bay made. We're also going to have a guest later on in Dave Pagnota, who is from the fourth period, thefourthperiod.com. He's one of the more well-known insiders in the game maybe not as well known as some of the names that are out there but Dave is one of the best in the business so he's going to join us a little bit later to break down the big trade that Tampa Bay made as long as as well as a couple of other subjects as well and let's get into a couple of topics with Tampa Bay as I bring in Greg Linelli and, and Greg let's just jump right into the big trade Tampa Bay brings in David Savard he was kind of the most coveted right-handed shot defenseman that was available as a pending a rental, if you will, an unrestricted free agent at the end of this season. Three-way deal. Tampa Bay has to bring in Detroit to broker it. They get in uh, basically 25% of Savard's remaining salary. They give up a first-round draft pick this year. They give up a third and a fourth as well um, to bring in David Savard. Uh, only one game in, but uh, I, I really like this move for what it can do potentially to shore up the, the back end, which we know has been an issue at times, especially with the injuries. Yeah, nothing's guaranteed, but Savard, let's face it, he is a top four defenseman. And I know a lot of people didn't think this could happen because there had to be uh, the thinking salary in, salary out. And what some people weren't recognizing is that a third team got involved and Detroit gets a draft pick out of it. Had they not gotten involved, they would have not received that draft pick. And that draft pick for Detroit is a bigger deal than some people think because they're rebuilding and they want as many draft picks available. So they get involved, which is huge. They pick up some salary. Columbus obviously wants to get something for him. They do. And the Lightning are in a win-now mode. You know, one of the things I took from Julian Breeswan his press conference was basically we're having our players and our coaches and our staff members sacrifice to play this year. I needed to be able to look myself in the mirror basically and say, what can I do to help this team and sacrifice a bit as well? Because if I didn't, I would regret it because these guys are putting it on the line for us to be successful this year. And he went out and he said, you know what? I understand draft picks are a big deal, particularly in today's world. We're trying to win now. And he did everything he could within reason to get not a depth defenseman, which a lot of people thought, but a quality top four defenseman, which some people d- didn't think that could happen. And he did. And this is the last two years we've seen Julian Brisois really go out and give his team the best chance to win. I'd love the move. I don't know if it's going to work out after one game. It's tough to judge. But you've got to think a guy like that with his pedigree 
whether it's with Victor Hedman, whether it's with Ryan McDonough or somebody else, he's going to be in your top six and he's going to give you some pretty big minutes. Yeah, I, I love the attitude too, right? Because last year when he made the acquisitions of Coleman and Goodrow, uh, used the term, you know, when you do this, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Well, I was going to be damned if I do. And he kind of had that same approach again this year. He actually even brought that line up again when he discussed the Savar trade. And, and I'm surprised, you know, my hand is up because I am one of those guys who is probably surprised that they were able to pull a move off like, like this. But I think it was just, I think it became more apparent when Eric Chernak was out just how thin they are on the right side because with Chernock not there, you know, you're left with Luke Shen, you're Luke left with Cal foot. You're left with Ben Thomas that we came up Jan Ruda and then he got injured. So you were missing two of your, your top two right-handed shot defensemen. And I think that sort of exposed uh, the weakness that this team had on the back end. So he was aggressive. Julian was aggressive and making sure that he addressed this situation in the manner that he did with the limited resources he was able to use to do it. And, you know, because he was the one who said, expect, you know, temper your expectations, because if we do make a move, it's probably going to have to be dollar in dollar out. He's able to pull off this move without taking anybody off the roster. So this team that, yeah, they're stumbling right now. It's not a good time of the year to hit a little bit of a stumbling block, but they've been very consistent for the most part through the first 30-plus games of the season. And now you bring in a player who can add some key minutes to your back end, who can kill some penalties, who's going to be physical. You know, he brings size. When he's six foot three, six foot four, 230 pounds, he can clear guys out of the front of the night. He can be that eraser on the wall, if you will, to kind of uh, disrupt four checks from the other team. So I'm surprised Julian made this move. Uh, I think it was a needed move, and I applaud the cap gymnastics that he did to be able to bring a David Savard in and give this team a boost because – you're right. That is one thing that stood out to a lot of people when he mentioned that our team has put themselves in this position. They've sacrificed. Their families have sacrificed. We're trying to win another Stanley Cup. I'm going to have to do whatever I can. And if that means sacrifice in the future, which is what you do in these situations, I'm all for it. Yeah, and I think it gives it gives John Cooper, when everybody's healthy, assuming that happens, once the playoffs begin, some options. I mean, I think there's the, the question is, your five defensemen are set. You need who is your sixth. And do you feel like Jan Ruta, if he's healthy, ready to go, is he in your top six? Or do you give the youngster, Kyle Foote, that opportunity to grow in the playoffs and understand that he's only going to play 10 to 12 minutes but gain valuable experience heading into next year? I don't know. I think those are good options to have. I think Kyle Foote's the guy to go to start with the playoffs, maybe playing with Sergachev. That's assuming Savard and Hedman find that chemistry. But as Brian Engblom has told me before, and I'm sure you've heard him say this as well, chemistry is a weird thing. It might not play out that Hedman and Savard are a match made in hockey heaven. This could be Jan Ruta when he comes back. Maybe he slides back with Hedman, and a guy like Savard ends up playing with Sergachev. I don't know. Uh, the, what I do know is Tampa Bay collectively, from a talent perspective, is better today on the back end than they were before the Savard trade. And I think as a head coach, as a staff, I think that's all you can ask for when it comes to what your general manager can do for your team at the deadline. Yeah, the other aspect of this too is you bring in a guy like Savard, it slots everybody else probably where they should be, right? Like, is is Jan Ruda a perfect match for Victor Hedman? 
he's he's done an admirable job, but is he the best guy for the job? If he's not, now you slot him down and you know to where he's playing twelve to fifteen minutes a game as opposed to maybe seventeen or eighteen, and that just kind of really sets things up for the coaching staff to be able to utilize now. He comes in, Savard comes in at a time where the Lightning had been stumbling a little bit. You know, they got the shutout on Saturday in that first game against Nashville. But let's be honest, Andre Vasilevsky kept it, you know, a one nothing game in the first period with some of the chances that they had. And, you know, even later in the game, he stops Arvidsson on a breakaway. So, you know, the loose defensive issues were there on Saturday as well. They certainly came to the forefront with Tuesday's game, putting a seven spot up on Tampa Bay. It's the most goals they've allowed this year. It's the most they've allowed since going back to, I think, the end of February last year when they lost in Arizona. Uh, so, you know, you, that's when you start to hear Ryan McDonough call it an absolute embarrassment and John Cooper saying that hopefully this 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 turns on the urgency switch. And, uh, you know, so it, there were some alarm bells that went off. Uh John Cooper said he still loves his team. He still likes the way they play. They're going to be fine. There's a lot of people who are looking at that and going, okay, the game, the 7-2 loss, yeah, it's just one game. But if you take a little bit more of a macro approach, this is about a three-week trend that you're starting to see with this team. You're a month away from the start of the playoffs. We've been down this path before with this team going back to 2019 when, you know, they had some stumbles down the stretch and, of course, what happened in the playoffs. So all of that encapsulized, the way they're playing right now, what is your concern with this team heading into the final 14 games of the year? You know, I, I try to be the one E that looks at this Lightning team and gives them the benefit of the doubt. And maybe that's a leap of faith on my part because I see a lot of panic setting in mainly with the fan base. I think the team and the coaching staff, at least publicly, have said the right things that they feel like they're going to be okay. At least John Cooper has. Let's put it this way. Ryan McDonough, as you alluded to, was pretty embarrassed by his team's performance. And I'm sure they had a team meeting afterwards and talked about how they let down Curtis McElhaney and how they need to be better defensively. Uh, I think it's more mental than physical. I think it's correctable. We're seeing too many just lack of tenacity plays, for a lack of a better term, for Tampa Bay. You're seeing just defenders go around the lightning players. You're seeing not enough guys go to the front of the net. Is that just the grind of the everyday schedule playing right now? It could be. It could be. I'm inclined to give them the benefit of the doubt, and that might be that might be wrong on my end. But I, it's hard for me to sit here and say, come playoff time, this Lightning team is going to continue to look like a team that has no clue what they're doing on the ice. They're turning the puck over in the neutral zone. Their defensemen are letting guys go around them. They're not being physical in front of their own net. They're not paying a price in the other zone. And they've had to rely on Andre Vasilevsky way too much this year than they should for a team that's as talented as them. So in my opinion, the way I look at it, I think this is a team going through the motions of the regular season. They have a lot of guys hitting the same slump, which means I think collectively they probably all want the playoffs to begin now. And I think once the playoffs do begin, um, I think they will be able to turn it on because of the experience, both good and bad, they've had in the playoffs the last couple of years. But I, I could be wrong. I, I could be way off, and this could be a really big problem that is being exposed. Yeah, I was way off in 2019. I thought once they got to the playoffs, they would find their game, and for one period they did, and then it went all downhill after that. But I, I'm inclined to think that this team is 
mentally stronger than that 2019 team was. You know, that 19 team, all the records they broke, you know, the prevailing thought was they didn't really face any tough situations throughout the regular season. So when they were face-to-face with one of the playoffs, they just looked stunned and didn't know how to recover from it. I would like to think that a team that went through what they did last year in winning the Stanley Cup and in, in dealing with what they did during the regular season because they did have their stumbles, especially the first two and a half months until they went on a 10-game winning streak, and that was followed by an 11-game winning streak, and then they only won three out of 10 before they hit the pause. So I, I would like to think that this, this team understands what they're doing right now, and I think the words of Ryan McDonough sort of you know, got to that after the game and the loss against Nashville. So uh, I, I'm with you. I, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt here because they are now a team that has won, and they know what it takes to win. Uh, they have to shore up some areas for sure. I think the one big concern that I have in all of this is the player Victor Hedman. We are seeing him make mistakes we're not used to seeing him make. You know, a plus-minus is what it is. I think he's, what, minus 11 over his last six, seven games, whatever it happens to be. You know, he's just he's just making decisions that he's for a Norris guy who's meant so much and does so much for this team, making bad reads. You know, the puck goes off his glove the other night because he pinches and, and doesn't succeed on it. It leads to a two on one. You know, I, I think that's the one guy I think a lot of times you'll hear John Cooper say this. And in a lot of ways, it's true. As Victor Hedman goes, so goes the team. And I think that's the one guy that we should look at that you say, you know what? you have to be better than you've been of late because he's had a fantastic year, especially offensively, but he needs to kind of set the tone and make, just kind of correct his game. I, I think as he slumped, the team has slumped. I don't think that's a coincidence. No. And I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I think he has slumped big time for him. And it's almost like, when did that article come out that Wyshynski was making the argument? He was the best player maybe in the league. <laughs> a month month and a half ago yeah. i feel like since that because let's let's face it players read all those different articles somebody's going to get wind of that to let hetty know and we've certainly talked about his praise as being one of the top defensemen in the league but it feels like since then his play has been on a little bit of a decline every game and uh, not all the time for sure and, and you i don't know why I, I don't, because I'm, I'm seeing guys go around him. I'm seeing him make bad reads. I mean, look, Victor Hedman is a risk-reward defenseman. He's He's got the puck on his stick a lot in games. He's going to make a lot of really good plays, and there's he makes some bad plays, too, throughout. I mean, he just he's your typical risk-reward defenseman, but he does way more good than bad. Uh, it just it happens to be the other way, I think, right now. And to be honest, he's not the only one on that back end. I think McDonough has struggled a bit. Sergachev... Hasn't been as impactful. Chernak's been the one guy that's been good basically throughout all of this. And, you know, that's for another topic down the road about the expansion draft and what he means to this team. But it kind of goes back to collectively, it's odd to see everybody struggle. I mean, he, look at their forwards. Uh, the defensive issues are the problems, but they're not scoring. I mean, Pilat has one goal in 17 games. I think Point's got three and 11. Kalorn's got one and 10. Sorelli's another guy that can't find the back of the net. It's unusual for all of those guys to struggle scoring, and, and that's why I think, is this just a a mental checkout in some ways waiting for the playoffs to begin? I'm not telling you it's right. It probably isn't, but can they rectify it? We're hoping that that Thursday game against Florida uh, gets their attention and they start playing well. 
yeah, they, they need to kind of just get back to consistent play. I think that's the one thing that coaches will ask. And, you know, John Cooper says it all the time, process over outcome. Right now the process isn't very good, even though they've gotten some of the outcomes right. uh, here in this last little bit. But it, it's how you're playing. And, and right now I, I think, you know, the eye test is going to tell you that they're not playing well. Because last night, or, the, you know, the Tuesday loss to, to Nashville – they give up seven goals, but what they, what they give up 22 shots. Like they only gave up 22 shots. And some of that is, you know, the score effect, if you will, in terms of Tampa Bay pushing to try and get back into the game. So there is some of that involved, but it was the quality, not the quantity, but the quality of the chances that they gave up. And, you know, I mean, what were they? I think Nashville scored, they scored five of their goals off the rush. There were as a breakaway and two, two on ones. Another one was a, a guy that was lost on the rush and there was a Sorelli, right? Like you're talking about Sorelli's offense, not being there. He was the guy that didn't follow Colton Sissons into the zone. And that's the guy that ends up scoring the goal. So it, it's, those are mental mistakes. And to me, those are oftentimes the sign of a mentally fatigued team. All right. Before we get to, Dave, who's going to join us here in a few minutes. So we want to get to some questions uh, so that we can get them in. But uh, first of all, we want to make sure we mention our sponsors, Manscaped. Uh, flowers are blooming, the grass is growing, and it's time to chop the weeds. Thanks to our sponsor, Manscaped, you can trim your hole safely and efficiently. I'm talking about ball trimmers. Manscaped, the global leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming, have an exclusive offer, offer for our audience. Use the code BOLTS to get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Join the other 2 million men who trust Manscaped. They're here to make sure you are trimmed and smelling nice. Especially in the summertime, e, when it gets hot. You need, you need to be able to breathe everywhere, and uh, that's what Manscaped does. Yep, spring has sprung, and Manscaped has the best tools to get you ready. So, again, keyword bolts at manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping off any order. All right, we want to squeeze in these questions before we get to our guest, Dave Pagnota. Uh, there's two here from Kenny. Uh, explain all the cap gymnastics with Ruda, long-term injury release, salary retention, pro-rated cap hit, et cetera. Like I'm five on the next pod, please. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's so the cap gymnastics, not a whole lot of salary cap space. Uh, and Julian went out and basically had to broker a deal with Detroit. And we mentioned that how you give up a draft pick to get Detroit to utilize some of their cap space to be able to retain 25%, which means Tampa Bay is only taking on 25% of David Savar's contract. Uh, the Jan Ruta situation, long-term injury relief, it helps them in the short term. Uh, they do expect Ruta to come back before the end of the season. So when he is eligible to come back, just as we saw with Mitchell Stevens, he does come back onto the roster and his salary cap does uh, come into effect. So you're not going to be able to get uh, any sort of relief once Jan Ruta is back. Uh, so we'll see how things work with that. And prorated cap hit. I mean, prorated is just exactly what it is. It's first of all, you're only paying 56, one out of 56 uh, because that's the schedule this year. So everybody's salary is prorated and you're only paying and taking on a cap hit for David Savard for 15 games of the regular season. So he's not being paid by Tampa Bay, his full 4.25. They're only taking 25% of his remaining contract. So that's where the salary retention comes into play. And I know that was sort of a quick exercise, but I, I hope I explained it okay. I think you did. He. Okay. I got it. I got it. Okay, and, and the other part of Kenny's question was um, with uh, Matt Lashoff, how does he remain in Grand Rapids if he's in Tampa Bay's organization? This is not an unusual situation. Teams, oftentimes, if there's no place for their player 
on their minor league team. They can loan them out to another minor league team. So this is no different. And, and let's face it, this is more of a courtesy than anything else. It's an opportunity. It's a procedural thing that basically Tampa Bay is now playing uh, Payne, uh, I can't remember, is it Brian or Matt Lashoff? I forget which one actually played here uh, back in, in the early uh, 2010s. Um, but, but, but Lashoff has been a big part of the Red Wings organization for years. He's a mainstay in Grand Rapids. So it's basically a courtesy. Yeah, we'll just take on your contract. You just stay there. We're going to, quote unquote, loan you to Grand Rapids, and he can continue to play out a season. It's only for the rest of this year. So uh, it, it's not a odd thing for uh, players to be loaned out to other minor league teams within the American Hockey League. It's a good deal for him. I didn't realize he had a ton of experience down at the uh, the AHL level, but uh, he's kind yeah. of a legend down there. Yeah, he's like 350 games. I yeah. think with Grand Rapids. You good know, he's got he's got a cup of coffee here and there with the Red Wings through the years. But uh, yeah, he's he's a big part of Grand Rapids and a big part of, you know, a lot of minor league teams love these type of veterans. You know, these AHL veterans to kind of be there and, and set the tone and, and show how to be a good pro and all those things. And Lashoff is one of those guys for the Detroit organization. A uh, couple here from Al. Uh, do the waiver rules change after the trade deadline when Stevens comes back? Does someone have to go down to the taxi squad or Syracuse? Obviously, Al asked this question before we got to Mitchell Stevens being activated. Uh, the waiver rules do not change after the deadline. The only thing that changes post-deadline as it relates to the roster is there are no more restrictions on the number of players you can have on your active roster. You can go beyond the 23. Now, you do still have to be cap compliant. You can't circumvent the cap. You can't call up 16 players and sit them, you know, have them practice with you because you still have to be in compliance with the salary cap. So that does not change. As we saw with Stevens coming back, uh, Ben Thomas was moved over to the taxi squad. Cal Foote was moved to the taxi squad. You know, those are players who are who do not have to clear waivers to be sent to the situation. Actually, Thomas was on an emergency situation, so he could be sent back to the taxi squad because he did, he is not waiver exempt. He actually would have to clear through waivers. Uh, so the waivers doesn't change. So if the Lightning wanted to put Luke Shen on the taxi squad, I believe he's past the 30-day mark. I wouldn't be surprised if at some point he ends up being put back on the on the. Uh, waiver wire just so they can have the flexibility to move him back and forth on the taxi squad and get Cal foot too. We saw this earlier in the year where if foot played Shen was on the taxi squad and vice versa, that's probably going to happen as well here in the last month of the season. So nothing changes waiver wise uh, with Tampa, but you're going to master class here. Uh, yeah, man, I I'm taking notes. I'm taking notes on this. See? Uh, Another one here from uh, from uh, Al is cap space prorated per game. As an example, if Kucherov came back and played one game at the end of the season, is the cap hit 156 of his full cap hit or the full hit of 9.5? How does that work? This one is certainly a little bit more complicated. Um, the cap is accumulated on a daily basis. So I, I've used the example before. Think, you know, you walk through, you walk out the door every morning on your way to work and you have to put a certain amount of money in the jar. It's called a swear jar because you're <laughs> cursing because you have to go to work. So you have to put that certain amount of money in the jar. As you go out every day, that jar starts to fill up. 
right? So as you get closer to the end of the season, the space starts to dwindle, but you can accumulate some space in that manner. So what does that mean for Nikita Kucherov? Uh, you still have to, like, you can't say, okay, Nikita Kucherov's coming back for one game, so he's 156 of his salary, so he counts. That's kind of how it works, but that's not how it works uh, on the same basis uh, because you have to have the, the uh, available cap space to bring a player uh, of his caliber back. It, look, we, we've used the example before. It's the reason that... Patrick Kane was not able to come back at the end of the regular season for Chicago a few years back because they just didn't have the cap space to activate him. It's going to end up being the same way with Nikita Kucherov in this example. So even if he is healthy and he was practicing, I don't know if anybody caught the video that the team sent out the other day of David Savard practicing. Nikita Kucherov was in the background and is no contact red. Sign that he's getting closer, but I would be shocked if he's cleared to play before the end of the regular season. Yeah, and then there there has to be legitimate discussion about can he play? You know, the, is the league going to step in and say, look, it looks like he's practicing, he needs to play before the playoffs, or you know, do you have to? If you're the Lightning, sit there and say, look, he's not ready, and uh, yeah, he's skating, but it's going to be till the playoffs, not before. Yep, yep. There's the independent people come in, and uh, I think I think the Leafs didn't happen with Joffrey Lupul a couple years ago where he an might be right. person came in and said, no, wait a second. He is healthy enough to play. And, and I'm sure if you're Carolina or if you're Florida or if you're Nashville, whoever Tampa Bay might end up playing in the first round, maybe you might look into that a little bit, but I, I don't think so. I don't, I don't yeah. think there's anything nefarious here. You know, I've said it before. I mean, it's, it's the same surgery Braden point went through and it took him uh, a lot closer to the five month mark than the four month mark for him to be back and ready playing. Uh, from Mark Handers, who I believe, I think Mark is over in Germany. So uh, thanks for uh, the question and listening, Mark. I know we got a lot from Mark uh, during the playoffs. Uh, honest question. Why do you think it is? Uh, what's the reason behind Anthony Sorelli's ice cold streak over the last couple of weeks? Well, we touched on it a little bit. And, and Greg, you touched on it a little bit, his, his lack of, of production. It, it's, it's weird, right? Because he came back from the injury and he was back right on top of it, right? Like he had a shorthanded goal uh, against Chicago, and I think he had goals in back-to-back games and hasn't been much offensively there, for, really for that whole line. Even when Steven Stamkos was on it, you know, look at Steven Stamkos' production of late. It's basically been on the power play before he got injured. Alex Kalorn really hasn't chipped in offensively, and, and I think that that factors into why Anthony Sorelli hasn't chipped in offensively. That whole line really has struggled for the most part, but I'm going to, I'm going to take back that little snippet that I mentioned on the defensive play with Colton Sissons, where Sorelli wasn't following him up the ice. To me, that's just not putting in the right kind of effort. And it's so weird to have to say that about Anthony Sorelli, because he normally is a guy who gives you 100% honest effort every shift. I think that's, that's what it is. I think it's collectively has the team, I don't want, again, checked out's probably the wrong word. They're just, they're not bringing the same intensity. And it's almost like they're just waiting for the playoffs to begin because it's a team that's basically been in first place the whole time. And they haven't had to really fight for a playoff spot like a lot of teams have. So I'm not telling you it's right, but in some ways it's human nature. And even your hardest workers are slumping from that standpoint to find that extra incentive. I think a lot of this is, saving what you have during a grueling regular season that's been condensed to use it for the playoffs coming up here shortly. 
Yep, that, that's a guy that can drive a bus, and, and you need him to get back in the driver's seat uh, for sure. Uh, last one here from Faye, and, and Faye actually sent me something on Thursday saying, hey, why not just put David Savard on the plane from Columbus? She was she was short by two days, as, as we know Savard joined the team two days later, or the trade was made two days later anyway. But here, here's her question, and, and she, she ends it with being she's being half facetious, so we'll, we'll keep that tongue-in-cheek. Uh, in mind as I ask this question somewhere, someone with a chart is saying he's not as bad as the eye test seems. Can we bring Louis Domingue back by his apron strings? And of course, if you follow Louis Domingue on social media, he was doing a lot of stuff for Vancouver last year in the bubble, in the kitchen, cooking, um, you know, cookies and baking cookies and stuff like that. Uh, so that, you know, she's being half facetious. Louis Domingue was not the answer. If Louis Domingue was the answer, he'd still be here. So I know there's a lot of criticism on Curtis McElhaney. Some of it is fair. Some of it is not. I mean, the number of quality chances he had to face against Nashville the other night, he ends up with seven spot. And I think that maybe that's what gets the team's attention is that they know they hung Curtis McElhaney out to dry. And he's already had a tough enough season with the two weeks on the COVID list back in January and everything else. Hopefully that's what kind of gets them woke up here because they left Curtis and the stats are, they look ugly on Curtis McElhaney, his season stats and his stats in the loss against Nashville. They look ugly and hopefully maybe, maybe Curtis McElhaney's uh, numbers are going to be something that kind of gets the team's attention to maybe play a little bit better. Uh, but for better or worse, Curtis McElhaney is your backup goaltender. The team never played this poorly in front of Domingue that they did with McElhaney. And I'm curious as to why. And we may well, never know that answer. Sometimes they did. They just they could score their way out of problems with Louis in that. I never felt though Louis. Maybe he did. I'd have to go back where he was just awful. And I'm not saying McElhaney that was all on him, but I feel like there have been more goals scored on McElhaney. And I think some of it is just he hasn't played a ton. I think that's fair. Where you're like, mm, yeah, that. He should have had that one for sure. And I think what we're seeing is it's just hurting Tampa Bay a bit more now than when another backup was in. But I, I can't remember them being this poor at times uh, in front of Domingue that they are right now with McElhaney. It's just, it's a weird dynamic. I, I, I don't know what to make of it. I really don't. Don't be left out. Make sure you subscribe to the Lightning Insider on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else where podcasts are found. Now, here again is Eric. Well, let's be honest, too. They've played this poorly in front of Vasilevsky at times. It's just Andre Vasilevsky. Well, he's just a stud. Yeah, he's just a stud. He he can cover up some of the mistakes. Uh, And and I'll say this is the one thing I remember about, you know, Louis Domingue, especially that year where he had to step in when Vasilevsky was injured. Louis was always good for a bad goal per game. You were always like, oh, well, that's that's not a very good goal. The team could overcome it. They would put, they would get back in a situation where they were tied or they would they would get the lead, and then Louis would come up with some saves. So he made some key saves at key times, and maybe that's the big difference right now between where McElhaney is in his game and where Domingue was a couple of seasons ago. It could be. Is that you know, and and look, and that's what I remember. Um, but uh, the fact that Louis Domingue. How many, how many, how many NHL games has Louis Domingue played since he left here? No, you know, oh yeah, we I mean, can it's, debate it's, this. It's Fans can debate this and argue this all they want. 
general managers make the decisions and Louis Dominguez played just a couple of games with the devils here in two years. And, and I, and I look, I like Louis. I, I thought he did a great job while he was here. Was he your answer long-term? No, he had made it clear. He wasn't going to resign here because he knew he wasn't going to get an opportunity to play any more games because he's playing behind Andre Vasilevsky. So that's the reason why they went out and signed McElhaney for two years was because of that situation. So it is what it is. You're going to have to deal with it. And as we've said before, if backup goaltending is your worry, you've got bigger issues. If McElhaney's starting your playoffs, you're not going to win. And you can say that for a lot of a lot of teams, though. Absolutely. I mean, it just That's the reality of where we are. Absolutely. All right. As always, thanks, everybody, for the questions. If you ever have them, find us on Twitter. Uh, use the hashtag AskEE. You can reach out to me at Eric underscore Erlinson or at Greg Lanelli on Twitter. Uh, we're always happy to take your questions, and that's always a fun part of the show. All right, and as promised, we bring in Dave Pagnota from the fourth period. You caught him on trade deadline day on NHL Network, and if you're not following Dave at the fourth period on Twitter, you are doing yourself a disservice. So we are very happy and pleased right now to be joined by Dave Pagnota. And Dave, did you recover from trade deadline day? You were a busy man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks guys. Yeah. It was, uh, it was, it was a hectic 24 hour stretch. Um, and I'm happy for that because it, it, it was spread out with a lot of action on Sunday. Uh, so it was, it was good. It was a little bit different, obviously. Um, but, uh, but nice. And uh, we've got some deals in and we had the, the big one at the end with Detroit and Washington, which was a nice way to top off the events. Well, before we get too deep into what took place around the league, let, let's start with your thoughts on Tampa Bay acquiring David Savard from Columbus. It's uh, paid a, a pretty steep price for a first-round draft pick, and a third and a fourth are involved, too, as you start to get into these complicated three-team deals to uh, help save with some of the salary cap space. But uh, what do you think that this move can do for Tampa Bay to kind of shore up their back end, especially with Savard being a right-handed shot? Yeah, I mean, I, I love it. I, when we started hearing whispers that, you know, Tampa was in the mix for him a few weeks ago, uh, I mean, it was it was a it's an ideal fit, and to be able to pull it off in a manner in which they did by getting Detroit to eat a quarter of the overall salary, uh, and obviously Columbus eating half. I mean, to get him on a twenty five percent of his overall deal was genius, and it brings in a guy that not only. So for me, I like this move because it not only shores up the defensive core, but you also get a sturdy, strong, reliable, defensive-minded guy to help your goaltenders out. So as much as for me, this is strengthening and, and bolstering and solidifying the six guys on your defense, this, this is helping out the goalies just as much and effectively helping out Vasilevsky as much as you possibly can from a from a you know a skater perspective from the guys in front of him because he's going to help clear the net he's going to you know get the pucks in the corners he's going to clear the zone he's going to be able to get those outlet pass get the puck out of the zone and away from the goalie as much as they can and toss the body when he needs to so for me yeah this this was a brilliant ad and in, especially in the manner in which they were able to do it you know dave we talk so much about the salary cap and how teams covet draft picks and making sure you you're good for the next five, 10 years being a competitive team. But when you're a team like the Lightning or the Penguins previously or the Washington Capitals or the Chicago Blackhawks, there's something to be said for trying to win now and mortgaging the future a bit. Do you get the sense that when you have an opportunity to win it, you can't be afraid to part ways with prospects and picks? No, 100%. You can't. I mean, you know, and, and it helps when you've got 
you know, a 23-year-old Anthony Sorelli, a 25-year-old Braden Point. You know, you've got Mitchell Stevens at 24 from a depth perspective. Uh, Sergachev's 22. Cernak's 23. I mean, the, this helps. <laughs> there's no question. You have Cal Foot coming up. Um, so, you know, plus there's that Kucherov guy. Yeah, he's he's 27. Your goalie's 26. I mean, when you're in this position, uh, absolutely, you go for it because your core, a strong amount of your core is young. You're going to remain competitive for a number of years. They position themselves very well in that regard. And you've got guys like Samkos and Gord that are signed for, for a few years. Your defensive core, you've got Hedman and McDonough that are signed for another four or five seasons. I mean, you can keep the, the nucleus of this team intact. And for that reason, it gives you the ability to say, you know what? Okay, we'll trade a first round pick for the second year in a row. We'll, we'll deal, you know, our, our, our two seconds for this year and next as part of it. And, and, you know, so what? Our first pick is a third round pick. Well, you know, the, the, the later rounds have been good to Tampa. And if, if you can afford to do it, you 100% take that chance and that opportunity because you don't know how long you have realistically to win based on some of the other teams that are out there. The window's open now fully. So you take advantage of it here in Tampa. And we saw the, the three-way trade because it involved Detroit. And then we saw a couple other moves, including with Toronto and um, you know, the Vegas deal uh, as well. In a flat cap world, we know the cap is probably going to stay pretty flat for at least the next couple of seasons minimum. Are we going to continue to see maybe more of these type of deals as salary cap becomes more and more of a commodity in the NHL? I think so. Yeah, I think we're going to see a little bit of creativity this offseason, not just with Seattle because you've got the expansion draft in, in July. Um, it's similar to what we saw with Vegas. A couple pieces were shed off there. But, you know, other teams that that their window doesn't start to open for a couple more seasons. So you've got teams like Detroit. You've got teams like even Los Angeles and San Jose we saw this year that are willing to eat some money Chicago made that clear around the league. The teams that are willing to eat and retain salary, that's going to be a valuable piece moving forward for a lot of teams that, you know, are, are considered contenders, but don't have a lot of flexibility to add a significant piece. So they have to get creative, just like we saw here with the addition of Savard, like we saw with Toronto, with getting a third team in the mix in San Jose to get Nick Foligno at a quarter of his contract. So I suspect we're going to see a little bit more of that. Um, you know, you hope – and the hope across the league is the, the, the you know, the revenue that Seattle's going to bring in this coming season. The television deal with ESPN, ABC, Disney, that nucleus, plus the, the, the next part B of the package, they still have to finalize. So those monies come in. Seattle's final payment kicks in at the end of this month. So all of those are going to start to accumulate and, and, can, and take effect into hockey-related revenue and then by, you know, this time next year, hopefully we're in a position to slightly adjust the cap a tiny bit. I'm not sure if that's realistically the case. I know you suggested a couple seasons, probably right. But all of these play a factor in, into how these GMs and how these teams are managing not just their roster, but their books. With that being said, and, and the revenue generated during these home games and during the playoffs, Dave, where's Canada sit come playoff time when it comes to attendance? No, sadly, I'm not seeing much. Um, we got issues here just trying to get vaccines out. So <laughs> it's it's a bit of a mess up here uh, altogether. Whether you want it or not, it doesn't matter. I mean, it, it's just a, it's, it's a big mess up here trying to roll this all out. 
I'm in Toronto. We're in full lockdown until the end of the month again. So it, it's not looking that great. I know Montreal welcomed some fans and, and they were, you know, frontline workers and, and nursing staff and things like that uh, for a couple of their home games recently. But I just don't see it moving forward for this season. It doesn't seem realistic. I'm hoping, I'm hoping I'm wrong. I'm hoping by, you know, the, the you know, I doubt it for the, for the first round, but maybe the third round Canadian team moves into the, you know, semifinal now for this season. They figure out the border situation, maybe. But we're, we're starting to – I think the the hope was the playoffs. I think that's dwindling. I think more realistic we'll get semi-full uh, buildings for the fall up here on this side of the border. On that topic, have you heard, is there a, a contingency plan, a plan B, if the border's not open for whichever team comes out yeah. of that North Division? Like, are they going to have to – are they talking about a potential bubble in the States for that to happen to, to get the Canadian team? Because if you can't cross the border, then there's there's no way you can have a semifinal series with home ice for both teams involving, the, the you know, one of the Canadian teams. Yeah, bubble's out of the question right now because um, the players, <laughs> they, they were one and done with that one. And, you know, it was a great way to, all things considered, to make that happen last season. But I'm not anticipating it this year by any stretch, and neither is the league. Um, now, there, there's – the contingency plan is that the Canadian team that makes it will end up playing in the, in the U S if you can't cross the border. Um, so they'll have a home close to where the other NHL team is. So let's say, you know, whichever Canadian team it is, let's say they end up playing Vegas, for example, you can see Arizona being a home, you know, for a, a temporary home for one of the teams, cause it's easy on travel and, you know, presumably they wouldn't be in it. So that that's kind of, the mindset and it would be the same for another team. Like if it's Tampa, then maybe they put them in, you know, Raleigh, for example, or, or, or down in sunrise somewhere close to, to minimize the travel um, from not just a, a, to, to make things easier from a schedule perspective, but also from a cost uh, perspective as well to minimize that. But the hope from at least that perspective, even though there might not be fans in the building come that point uh, on the Canadian side, the hope is that there was, you know, they, they reduced the 14-day quarantine to seven days for the trade deadline for players being moved at the deadline. The Canadian government did, and the provinces agreed. With a lot of teams in the U.S. getting vaccinated, and uh, hopefully, again, by, you know, middle of June, we're, we're in a better position on this side, um, that they would be able to reduce, at the very least, the team charters, allowing them to come in on the bus straight to the hotel and then it's hotel rink, hotel rink. That would be it. So the hope there's a lot of optimism that there's not going to be an issue, but they do have that contingency plan in place if things get worse somehow over the summer. Well, Dave, my last question on, on the, the attendance and COVID, because we just, a lot of it is hypothetical. We just don't know, but I mean, let's say we start next year vaccinations are out. We're learning more about this virus. There are some people who just say, look, I mean, you can do it all you want, but a virus is going to virus, you know, it's just, it's going to be yeah. there. You have to live with it. I mean, I can't see the NHL doing what they're doing in terms of, or teams doing what they're doing, restricting fans and doing some of the things that are put in place because of how desperate teams need money to stay afloat. Do you just get the sense that you know, next year, we're, we're just going to have to kind of power through this. And, you know, if another strand pops up, you just we're going to have to learn to, to deal with it the best we can. Yeah, uh, more or less. I mean, you know, the, the good sign is, you know, you're seeing what the other leagues are announcing or are letting leak. 
Like the NFL will have full buildings in the fall. The NBA plans uh, to have full buildings. They've said full buildings in the fall. I'm not sure how that affects the Toronto Raptors, but um, at least for the American teams, those two leagues are expecting full buildings come fall. We're seeing some stuff happening in in baseball. Uh, You know, I'm curious to see what happens in in Vegas because May 1st, it's wide open in Nevada. And the UFC announced today that they've got, you know, their, their next tilt coming in in July and they're selling a full capacity, you know, building at, at T-Mobile full 20,000 seats. So I would, I would imagine that it's going to start affecting some of these NHL teams. And obviously you've got to take the local health authorities into consideration in all of this, but we're seeing this start to open up across, across the board. So I think, you know, certainly it's positive, um, but you know, they're going to have to, again, just deal with, how things move forward from uh, the, the local perspective. And, and then you just kind of roll with it. You roll with it there. The league in the PA has been very good with respect to trying to figure things out and working with the health authorities and the local governments. But ultimately, they have the final say. But you're right. I think with everything happening moving forward, especially for next season, you know what? <laughs> you're just going to have to deal with it as, as best you can and, and go from there. And we're joined here by Dave Pagnota from The Fourth Period. Make sure you check him out on Twitter at The Fourth Period. He has a lifestyle magazine out as well. Call The Fourth Period. You can see him everywhere. He's on NHL Network. And uh, everywhere you can find Dave, he's uh, one of the top insiders in the game. And, and Dave, back to the, the trade deadline. Let, let's stick here in the Central Division. Uh, we know the move that Tampa Bay made. You know, We discussed that. Florida brought in a couple of players, including Sam Bennett, which I think was a big add for them. They signed Nikita Gusoff. They add Brandon Montour. How much of an upgrade did the Florida Panthers, who are having a great season, add to their roster with their moves? Uh, On the surface, it was good. Um, I I like their additions that they made. Uh, You know, you're taking, obviously, a chance with Gusev and with Bennett. Um, You know, you're, you're hoping that the change of scenery rejuvenates their careers and gets them going again. Obviously, you know, Gusev was great in the K. Now it's a matter of translating that consistently here. He had a good season in Jersey last year, but not the greatest now. So, you know, you, you hope from, from their perspective, the hope is that those guys will, you know, start to get going. Uh, Montour, a great ad as well, provides solid depth. He gets the raw deal because he was playing in Buffalo, but I mean, everybody does. So you, again, change of scenery, motivation, he's ready to roll. Um, but obviously he doesn't replace Aaron Ekblad. Obviously, you know, the, the, the injury to Carter Verhage hurts. He was having a hell of a year. I mean, this guy was on pace for, if this was an 82 game season, he was on pace for 72 points. That was a breakout season for Carter Verhage, given the opportunity. And you guys know him well, obviously, but given the opportunity to play regular minutes and top line minutes, we saw what he's capable of. So, um, you know, those two hurt. The additions I like because it deepens their team, but now we have to see how they play without, you know, obviously, um, you know, Ekblad out of the lineup for the season. And, and Verhage, the hope is that he comes back towards the end of the season or for the start of the playoffs. So, again, on the whole, on the surface, I like the ads because it deepens them. Uh, but now, you know, you've, you've got to deal with the injury. I think they were prepared with Ekblad. The Verhage injury certainly hurt them. Dave, I felt – Carolina would give Tampa Bay the biggest problems come playoff time. Do you feel that way? And how close, if at all, do you think Carolina was to acquiring John Gibson? We had heard that rumor floated around. We know they probably wanted to upgrade their goaltending position, but it seems like they're going to go with what they have. 
Yeah, yeah, they tried um, to explore to see what goaltenders were were out there and were available. I believe they were talking with Columbus at some point with respect to Elvis Merzlikens. Um, the Gibson stuff, I, I had heard as well, but I don't think it really got too far because I think the the price was was pretty big. And I had also, you know, heard that it got to a point where, you know, they were trying to include Josh Manson in the mix, and then you had a, a Gibson Manson combo which would have been astronomical. And then they just said, okay, well, let's try to focus on, on Josh Manson. And obviously that didn't happen. Um, but they, they were looking for some time. They were in on, on Savard to a certain extent, but not really. But they really wanted somebody on that right side that they could add um, in terms of veteran presence signed beyond this season. They weren't able to pull it off. So, you know, they looked, they, they were fishing. They tried to make it happen. They tried to make a splash. I think the Gibson thing was... I think roughly a month ago to, to three to four weeks ago when they were trying to bang on that door. And then I, I think it got shut down pretty quickly. They tried to focus on Savard. They knew they weren't going to be part of, uh, or sorry, they were trying to focus on um, Manson, excuse me. They knew that they weren't going to be really in on Savard. And then they, they kind of kicked around a little bit, a little bit on Ristolainen, uh, didn't really get anywhere. So, it, you know, they, they make the, the minor move. Um, although Hockenpon was is, is a pretty he's been a pretty serviceable defenseman, so it deepens them, but it doesn't commit them too much because he's a UFA at the end of the year. Dave, speaking of goaltenders, we, we'd heard some whispers and some speculation among other places that Tampa yeah. Bay might have been looking to upgrade their backup goaltender. Did did was there was there anything that you picked up on that Tampa was exploring that potential at all? I think there was a conversation with Detroit about Jonathan Bernier, but other than that, um, and maybe, you know, Brisebois kind of looked around a little bit, but I don't think it got overly serious. Um, I think the focus for them was, unless somebody was coming in very cheap, and both in terms of the return and the dollars, uh, I think they were just going to ride out, you know, the, the, the combo that they've got. Now, the, obviously the issue here is making sure that, that Vassy is going to be rested up for the start of the playoffs. Uh, but I think because the overall shortened season, you're going to see McElhaney kind of jumping in the mix a little bit more down the stretch to make sure that, that you know, Vasilevsky's well-rested as, or as much as he can be for the start of the playoffs. But again, I, I think, again, they were kicking around. I don't think it got overly serious because they have to also decide exactly what, what made more sense for them. To bring in a guy that will effectively alleviate a little bit of pressure from Vasilevsky down the stretch because everybody knows it's his net come playoff time or focus on that defenseman that can help now help your goalie, help your core and do all those things in playoff time too. And I think they obviously decided what was priority number one. Dave, I have two quick questions. The Lightning's struggling a bit right now defensively. You think this is just the ups and downs of the regular season, or do you think yeah. there are bigger issues with them heading into the playoffs? And my second part is, because of all of this, Vasi continues to be outstanding. Should he be getting more traction for MVP of the league? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, I'll get to that in a second. I guess in terms of the defense, look, this is, these are the ebbs and flows of the league. You can't be on a full 56 games of the season. You can't be on a full 82 games of a regular season, regular, regular season. So yeah, this, this just happens. You're going to have off days. You're going to have stretches where it catches up to you and you need to rest, not just your body, but your mind as well. 
the mental aspect is so big on this because now you start to say, okay, well, I'm not performing as well. You try to overcompensate. You start playing mind games. Sometimes you just kind of got to get back to the basics and it'll happen again and they'll be, you know, on point. There's, there's no question. I just think, you know, this is, this is just a point in the season and every team goes through this, whether it's your defensive core, whether it's your top, you know, your top six, whether it's your goalie, you're going to have those fluxes throughout the year. So I think this is a good time to have it now versus, you know, playoff time, but just get those uh, wrinkles out of the way quickly in terms of Vassie's performance. Yeah. I mean, obviously he's in the Vesna conversation, um, but I think we're starting to see uh, or, or to make a more valid argument to have this guy in the MVP conversation. I, I, I think it's what Carey Price was the last guy to do it to not only win Vesna, but, but the last goalie to win MVP of the league, you know, Vassie's got a 2.0 goals against and a 932 save percentage. Um, you know, he's from, in terms of starters, yeah, he's the top guy in both categories. You know, you've got some other players that have, you know, jumped in and out, but in terms of consistent starters in the league, he's tops in, in, in both of those categories. Um, you know, I guess because Campbell and, and Delkovic have, have jumped in, you know, they're, they, they're a, a slightly better number, but I think overall full up from a full season, he, he's tops and you're right. I mean, he needs to be given that consideration from an MVP perspective. And I think that's starting to spread a little bit more because his consistency with his performance I mean, it's been since game one of the pl- of, of the season up until now. You know, typically, at least from my observation, or our, our observations outside of Tampa, a lot is that he's he's a bit of a slow starter. But, I mean, he's riding the high from from the bubble cup win and he's just going to keep it going. So I think he definitely deserves consideration for league MVP in that hard trophy. Last one for me, Dave. Um it's such a weird year, obviously, for many reasons. Everything is divisional-based. Uh, you're based in Toronto, and you see a lot of the Canadian teams. How difficult is it to gauge how good teams really are this year? Like, obviously, there's a lot yeah. of discussion about Toronto, and, you know, you could make the argument here in the Central Division, are Carolina, Tampa Bay, and, and Florida that much better? Where do they stand against the league? I mean, how hard is it to try and gauge how good teams would be if we were playing a regular, regular season? Yeah, it's it's tougher because – you know, when you're playing seven, eight, nine games against the same teams, you start to understand their tendencies a lot better. And it makes it easier to play against in in one aspect um, because you've been seeing them so much and you can scout them so much. And, and it just makes things a little bit easier when you're facing that opponent consistently uh, throughout the season. And that's all you got to worry about. You know, you don't have to travel here, there, and everywhere. You can send your scouts just within division and you get a really good sense of how to how to play against a specific team. Um, it's yeah, it's it's going to be interesting because we're not going to get to that point until the semis when the the you know top four teams that come out of these divisions face off against each other. So that'll be interesting hockey. There's going to be a lot of hesitation in the first couple of games of those series um, before you start to get a feel for what they're capable of. So you know it's tough. It, it absolutely is is a lot tougher to properly gauge. But at the same time, I mean, if you're going to – you got to win, you got to go through the teams that you're facing. Um, so I, I don't think it, it matters to a lot of these clubs, but it certainly has changed their perception how to make things go. Dave, man, I, I really can't thank cool. you enough for, for joining us here uh, on, on the show. We appreciate your time. Tell people where they can find your work. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, check us out, fourth period, uh, fourthperiod.com or – 
on NHL Network Radio or, or the TV side. I'll be there as well for the rest of the season. And uh, you know what, guys? I'm, I'm, you know, we talked about the divisional stuff. I'm actually heading down south uh, for the first time in over a year because, uh, from my perspective, I've got to get some games in and, and see these some of these teams firsthand. So I'll actually be in Tampa later on this month. Very Can't cool. Wait for that. Yeah. Can't wait for we'll that. have you on the show. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be careful. Be careful what you ask there for, Dave. That's yeah. true. <laughs> Greg, Greg just roped you in. I did. Pencil you in. Pencil you in. Not. I didn't put. I didn't have ink in there. I just penciled you in. There you go. There you go. All right, Dave. Well, uh, we look forward to seeing you down here. Uh, we do appreciate it, and uh, we'll catch up with you in about a week or so. Sounds good, guys. Stay Thanks, easy. Dave. All right, that's going to wrap up this latest edition of the Lightning Insider dot com podcast i want to thank dave pagnota for joining us again check out his work if you didn't hear it too remember the of course you do the five overtime game against columbus there was a question that dave asked uh and he's obviously represented as a fourth period and john cooper said shouldn't he get the first question since you know like we went to five periods shouldn't he the fourth period get the next one so uh if, if you remember that from the zoom calls I do. Um, but that's look dave is one of the best insiders in the game i've known him really going back to 2006, 2007, uh, and to see him grow his uh, fourth period to where it is right now, he has proven to be one of the top insiders uh, that people don't talk a lot about. Uh, so it was great for him to give us some time and to give us some insight into what went on for trade deadline. Uh, all right. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to this uh, podcast. Don't forget to share it, rate it, everything you need to do. You can find it everywhere. Tell your friends it's out there. For Greg Linnelli, I'm Eric Rowlandson. We'll see you next time. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.